Good morning. This is Tom Merritt, host of Daily Tech News Show, Court Killers and Current Geek, and author of Pilot X, now available at TomMerrittBooks.com. And you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Scrolling for June 5th, 2018. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Flow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. I am constructing a fence in my yard to keep the dogs from running away. Steve, that sounds really exciting. It's terrible. You know, later on, maybe you can tell us about painting it. That would be exciting uh, too. We can- get the children. Oh, yes. Convince the children. Just like Tom Sawyer. Maybe you can convince everyone to do it. Hey, kids, building a fence is fun. Exactly. Give me a dollar and you can help. (laughs) Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You got to see the new comedy from our friends at Jackass. This is the Action Point movie. Now, Steve, I had the ability to use MoviePass to use this, but I chose to go down to the premier uh, movie theater, IPIC, uh, Uh in our area to go see it. And... um, uh, let's say that um, my eyes were not uh, enjoying this as much as I thought it would it would enjoy it, yeah. and uh, I listened to this movie quite well with your eyes shut. Oh, I wouldn't say that. You were half asleep, at least. What I can tell you is Johnny Knoxville, the way he walks, mm-hmm. uh, the star of this film, by the way, the way he walks, he must just he, he's been in, it's like car wreck after car wreck, yeah, because. Um, he does his own stunts. That's his whole shtick is he is the guy that is hurting himself for your amusement. You're welcome. Along with that, a few punches to the groin and you've got yourself a movie, Steve. <laughs> it's like America's Funniest Home Videos, just like on a high speed. This is idiocracy, man. Yeah. This, is, this is exactly Mike Judges when he was uh, talking about that, where uh, our joy, in fact, that, that was the first joke when they got to the future was the guy is watching television of some guy getting hit in the groin, and that's the whole <laughs> joke of it. That's all of comedy. Well, I mean, it's a little bit more than that. They, they do have a nice cast for this. Okay. Um, this is just not a strong movie. I, I Unless you enjoy this type of humor, which I will say that was not my favorite, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think you're going to get much from this. And in fact, I don't think it did real well in yeah. the theater either. Yeah, the, it made $2 million in its opening weekend. That is that is not a lot of money. Critics have not been kind to this movie. Maybe it should have opened up on Netflix then. Because, Maybe this was a Netflix property. Yeah, something like Amazon Prime or yeah. something where, where there, you have a niche audience and you can go right to them. I myself, once again... Um, I got roped into seeing this because it just happened to be the time that I was there. Yeah. So that's our review of Action Point. (laughs) I got to see some good things. Oh, you did, Steve. Finally. The first one is on Netflix. This is The Toys That Made Us. The second season of that dropped on Netflix last Friday. No, the first season was very good. These are all... So good. This is all the toys that you grew up with steve yes this show welcome to too much scrolling the show all about steve's childhood these toys influenced my life i played with all of these toys the second season goes into even more of those classic toys what, and their their reasons for being what properties do they go through the four episodes for season two are star trek 
and they keep saying, you know, it's like Star Wars, only different. They, they, they're really tongue-in-cheek about how much more influential Star Wars was versus the Star Trek toys. Transformers, which was huge for me in that the mid-80s. That was mid part 80s. of your childhood. That was a big part of my childhood. Lego, which continues to be a part of my lifestyle. I still pay a lot of money to Lego. And... Hello Kitty. Which is another property that you've, you've really well, enjoyed. Not as much. Not, not as much, but my boys love to tease each other with Hello Kitty because they find Hello Kitty everywhere and they go, I'm going to buy this for my brother. <laughs> well, my, my kids grew up with Hello Kitty too, so right. obviously it had a resurgence and it's been able to last. Oh, it's everywhere. It is so ubiquitous. You can find Hello Kitty stuff everywhere. So what did you learn from these shows that, that you want to pass on to our listeners? The, the most influential toys are still things that we remember and we have a nostalgia for these properties. Okay. These properties have gone on. Transformers went on to have a huge day at the movie theater when we got we finally got that first Transformers movie. Yes, of course, there are the second, third, fourth, fifth, twentieth Transformers movies that are not as good. Well, I will say that all of those Transformers films and Action Point have a lot in common, Steve. Well, okay, yes. I find the nostalgia factor really high for those. I enjoyed the first Transformers movie. I, and Lego is such a big influencer still. I mean, the Lego movie. My goodness, the Lego movie was such a great film. In fact, there's a, there was a, a book that I, I have interest in, in reading talking about Lego. Basically, Lego, um, I wouldn't say verge of bankruptcy, but certainly yeah. did not have... Uh, the market that they have now, and they had to redefine how the company was run. That was in this documentary. They oh, were okay. on the verge of bankruptcy. They okay. were in very dire straits. And so they, they have redefined themselves, and they really got to the mm -hmm. core of why people uh, purchase these and play with these toys. Mm -hmm. What they really haven't gotten to is the erector set. Yes. So from classic art, 60s. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of these kind of, I would say, engineering STEM type of, uh, of toys out there. Mm -hmm. Maybe today's version of that would be the Raspberry Pi or something. Well, Lego is doing some interesting things with their Mindstorms products where they are trying to influence education in STEM education through a very similar thing to what the Erector Set had. Is that the uh, the, the robotics mm -hmm. uh, division of, of Lego? Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of teams in our area that compete. Yes. Um, and so this, you're right. This is a, if, you, if, if you've got a young person, it's summertime. This would be something to play around Get with. Get them building. Get them building is a great way to do it. This is a great documentary. The Toys That Made Us, it's on Netflix. I really recommend all eight episodes of it. I did get a chance to see Game Night, finally. Jason Bateman? Jason Bateman and uh, Rachel McAdams on a, a night of playing games where that goes a different direction. All right, so Steve, you watched this with your wife. Yes, I did. So was uh, this... <laughs> Everything that I, I said it would be? Yes. Yes, it was. She likes those raunchy comedies. This is pretty tame. Yeah, this isn't raunchy. This is not as raunchy as I expected it to be. She and I sat down and watched this, and we were both laughing out loud at this movie. It's, it's sort of a farcical uh, joy. It's a great date movie. Of going through it, and it certainly is something, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's edgy enough, but yeah. not being over the top. That's it. Plenty of twists and little turns, and what, 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 how's it start? It starts off playing Game Night. 
Valentine. Mm-hmm. Steve, what are we doing next Friday? Ah, game night is coming up for us next Friday. We're going to have some great stories to tell from that on Saturday. That's right. If you're in Indianapolis, you want to join us in boxes. Yeah. I also got to see the final episode of my next guest needs no introduction on Netflix. This is the David Letterman uh, conversation with five amazing people who are influencing our lives today Barack Obama George Clooney Jay-Z Tina Fey and the final episode was Howard Stern so tell me about the Howard Stern episode I tell you I I'm not a huge fan of Howard Stern I enjoy his conversation and his style Mm -hmm. but I've always been a little apprehensive about his over-the-top really too too much uh, in sex maybe too much just too much Howard Stern in general okay I, I found that this interview was the most human that I've ever heard and seen Howard Stern acting. He is having a genuine, real conversation with Dave Letterman. Well, Dave Letterman and Howard Stern have a really good relationship. They are, uh, you know, Dave can be kind of prickly at times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Stern obviously is a little bit over the top and a little bit... uh, uh, too graphic and detailed a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, but anyway, they tend to bring, bring out the best of each other. You really do, and uh, they they really there's there's sort of lightning and excitement when they get together, and they talk about their history together, like they were almost fighting each other on the air at one point, and it wasn't either one of them being mad at the other one, but they were saying these angry words. Well, I think they had equal, when I say equal audiences, they mm-hmm. had they had different audiences with a lot of overlap. And the deal is, is that they got to meet as equals. Right. It wasn't like Howard Stern was doing him a favor by being there. And it wasn't like, you know, Letterman needed Howard Stern, but they certainly were able to do something magical and much bigger than both of them. And both of their careers were fantastic. There's still icons of their industries, and they get to talk about that. This is a really good interview. So you think that the, this uh, entire series was was uh, perfect for David? I think it was perfect for David, yes. I absolutely will agree with that statement. What I'm still concerned about is the fact that they doled these out once a month for the sure. last five months. I don't know that that got it the traction. I don't know that everybody watched this okay. because it was just out there every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Netflix seems to do the best when they just hand you a package of shows or movies or whatever it is and say, here, these are available. Watch them when you want. I don't I don't disagree. This may have been a test for them. This seems mm-hmm. very Hulu-ish it as does. far as to release it once a week. Where, uh, once Netflix, a month. This is once, once a, month. a month. Yeah, maybe that's the wrong way too i don't think that that was the right choice it's probably a test once again uh hulu ish um but what i would say is that um yeah they're still trying to play on how to best dole out Mm -hmm. these types of shows give us the season all at once give us half the season at a time right so, you know, we'll see how these things play out over time. Yeah, we got news this week that Mystery Science Theater, their season 12, is going to come to Netflix. Well, Steve's very happy. Well, I'm a little bit apprehensive because it's it has been announced that it's only six episodes, okay. as opposed to the 14 episodes of last season. And maybe in this playing with this idea of Netflix, maybe we're looking at a split season and they're only telling us about six but they're actually filming 12 we will find out but uh i i'll be there i'll be i'll be watching oh no worries
Opening this week, we've got some interesting movies. The first one is the next in the Oceans series. This is Oceans 8. You've probably seen Oceans 11, maybe 12, maybe 13. Uh, I, I saw the first one, and I enjoyed it very much. I look forward to Oceans 8. Now, the difference um, with this is this is not... The Ocean's Eleven was all the men. Right. Okay, this is all women, and you got Sandra Bullock sort of as our leader. She is the head of the gang in the heist movie of Ocean's Eight, but there are so many stars in this one. It's, it's like an all-star cast, but and, and then setting up on a heist. I love a heist movie. I even like Solo because I love a good heist movie, and this looks to be a good heist movie. Chewbacca's not in this, Steve. Uh, it's an all-star cast. Okay. Maybe, well, maybe, Steve, for you. For you. <laughs> maybe, maybe in the background somewhere. There's a movie called Hotel Artemis. This is another all-star cast uh, featuring Jodie Foster. This is a, a near-future Los Angeles where a nurse runs into a secret and a members-only emergency room for criminals. This sounds like a great story. This sounds like Night Nurse, Steve. It does, very much. In, in fact, maybe it was inspired a little bit by it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jodie Foster runs this uh, hotel for the criminals, and uh, obviously there's something odd going on because she seems to be picking. She she picks interesting um, projects to work on. I think if I was going to see a movie this week, this is the one I would go see. Okay. The other one is called 2036 Origin Unknown. This is a very standard sci-fi where a mission to Mars is going poorly and there's an AI who's going to take over and it explores both of our fears of what could happen in space and what if AI took over. So for those of you wondering where Hal went, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like he's starring in this. And then we also have Katie Sackhoff. Yes, Katie Sackhoff. So uh, all the nerds are going to watch this movie she is such a big part of sci-fi since Battlestar Galactica well nothing against this movie it looks like it should be on the Seafy channel I don't disagree with you I think that the trailer really looks like this should be a a direct to sci-fi kind of a film there's one called Won't You Be My Neighbor. This is a documentary about Fred Rogers. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Well, it seems like um, every six months or so, uh, a neighbor, a friend, somebody who worked with Mr. Rogers uh, has a book and then maybe a, um, a, a you know a, a movie or something that's going to go over his life. I'm sure it's going to be as touching as all the other ones with um, with good stories being told. How much can we explore Mr. Rogers? (laughs) Well, Mr. Rogers has a lot of stories to tell, even though he's passed away. There are so many great stories out there about him. He's such a, he was such an influence and he was such a genuine, real person. He saved PBS, Steve. He saved PBS. That's such a beautiful clip on YouTube. You should go look at that. I look forward to this documentary and to the film version that Tom Hanks is going to be playing Mr. Rogers. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to that. There is a documentary called The Worker's cup this is so interesting this is about the world cup uh and they've got to build all the stadiums for the Mm -hmm. world cup up over in qatar and they've imported all these workers to go over there and they they live um it's been reported that they live almost slave lives Mm -hmm. uh, because they're poor and and, and they're building all this stuff out in the middle of the desert um and this is a story about they built the stadiums why not have a, a soccer tournament with all these uh, workers? So they basically put together their teams, and before all the World Cup teams show up a couple of years from now, 
they're going to go ahead and uh, have their own cup. That's fantastic. This is sound, this sounds like a great story. I'm glad that this exists. I look forward to seeing this. Yep. There's one called Believer. This is a very interesting HBO special. The Imagine Dragons frontman Dan Reynolds is a Mormon by faith <laughs> and a rock star by choice and and this is a movie about how he balances that idea of being a mormon and how the mormon church is treating everyone well treating the homosexual community is is particularly uh, the focus of this and there are people who have alternative lifestyles historically the mormon church has not been particularly accepted it's probably one of the more conservative uh, of the churches out there but this is about trying to come to terms with that and the front man for the imagine dragons uh, has strong feelings on that and you know i I think that we feel that most people should be able to live the life that they'd like to live Mm -hmm. and we, we certainly encourage everybody to as long as it's not harming somebody to to live a, a life that they would um, they would like to live mm-hmm. and I think this is a story that's that's touching this group of people showing that um, there are people out there that are willing who are in positions where they do have a large voice to challenge um, some of some of the uh, establishments out there there you so, go. good stuff how about that for our way of discussing this I, it, it looks like a really good documentary I look forward to seeing that one Brings us to our book it, our book of the week, and boy, Chip, we talked to so many great people. There's so many wonderful writers out there. Today, I have the amazing ability to share with you more stories today we're going to speak to mike reese who most people may not have heard of mike reese but he is one of the longest running writers on the simpsons now he just wrote a book didn't he steve yes his book is coming out next tuesday it's called springfield confidential jokes secrets and outright lies from a lifetime of writing for the simpsons good morning mike Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Wonderful to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much for this book and for, boy, for 30 years of memories with The Simpsons. Oh, thanks. It's, a, it's about 26 years of memories and four years we don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike has won four Emmys and a Peabody Award during his 28 years writing for The Simpsons. He ran the show in season four, which Entertainment Weekly called the greatest season of the greatest show in history. In 2006, Mike received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Animation Writers Caucus. That You are, you are stellar, my friend. <laughs> it's all doing the same job over and over. I'm basically a guy who can't find a new job. Well, you've written jokes for so many great people, comedy legends, you know, like Johnny Carson, Joan Rivers, Gary Shandling, and Pope Francis. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the book. I I had to keep telling the editor, no, this is true. And I think that's the hardest one to swallow is the fact that, yes, I had a job writing jokes for Pope Francis. Uh, he had a charity called jokewiththepope.org. <laughs> and it, it was the craziest thing. I just, You know, there's... 800 million Catholics in the world, and they came to the one Jew they know to write free jokes for the Pope. And, you know, writing free jokes for the Pope, that's like two Jewish sins right there. <laughs> but uh, that was it. He Again, he never paid. But then 
I got a certificate. I got a, uh, a diploma from the Pope calling me a missionary of joy, and the Pope signed it, and that is about the craziest job I ever had. I absolutely agree with the Pope on this one. You are a missionary of joy. You've brought us so much joy. You were a writer on so many of my favorite TV shows growing up. It's Gary Shandling's show, The Critic, Sledgehammer, Alf, and The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I, I watched all of those a lot growing up. You know, I never wanted to write this book. I didn't want to write it. It was a, a journalist, Matt Clickstein, came to me. He said, you know, everything you've worked on is either a hit or has this dedicated cult following. So I go, all right, all right. You know, I just, again, it's the way I, I do everything in my life. I never say no to anything. And when he proposed this idea, I said, all right, let's see where this goes. And here was, here's where it goes. I'm on your podcast. There you go. You've come this far, Mike. I'm so proud of you. Uh, well, there you go from Steve. <laughs> Matt Groening created The Simpsons in a panicked moment, and he used his real family as the pattern. How much of your personal life is in the scripts of The Simpsons? You know, my father uh, was a doctor. He was Phi Beta Kappa. He became a historian. And yet still, he's as much Homer Simpson as anyone else. I think everybody's dad feels like Homer Simpson to them. So, I, I, I think there's two Homer Simpsons in this in this basement right now. I think both of us are Homer Simpsons to our kids, for sure. Yes, and so I should say, as a man who has no kids, it's not even kids that do it to you. You just, you get old, you get fat, the hair starts to go, and so, of course, you're angry and you drink. It all makes perfect sense. <laughs> I've got to say, every kind of funny or interesting thing that happened to me as a kid growing up uh, has wound up on The Simpsons. And in fact, the very first joke on the very first episode is a scene where Homer loses a game of Scrabble and gets mad and throws the whole Scrabble set into the fireplace. And that's, something, that's something I saw happen when I was a kid. In right, you tell a lot of great stories in, in, in your new book. Um, it's running the show, as awful as it sounds, Yes, yes, it really is a tough job, and it's something up to a point nobody did it more than two years in a row, uh, and then they would go off and never run another show. It's it's so much fun to work on a comedy show if you're not the boss, because your job is just to make jokes all day, and you're sitting with other funny people who are trying to make you laugh. Uh, when you run a show, especially when you run a show like The Simpsons, you do everything else. I mean, you do, you spend about 10 hours a day working with the writers, and that's just the start of your day because you've got to direct the actors, you've got to edit the vocal tracks, you've got to go over storyboards and designs, and then you have to figure out where the music and the sound effects go in. And uh, it's, it's just, it, I used to, when I ran The Simpsons, just for those two years, I worked, I think, 100 hours a week, 51 weeks a year. I gained 70 pounds. Wow. Yeah, oh, it was huge. And in fact, I, I, when I finished running The Simpsons, I went to the doctor, and, he's, and I weighed 239. I weighed what Homer Simpson made. So I go, wow, I'm taking this job seriously. <laughs> so one of the great stories is about your favorite guest star, Joe Frazier. Do writers like having guest stars on shows like this? Oh, we absolutely love it. We, we love it, and... In fact, 
Joe Frazier is a great example of an idea where it was a it was a show about Homer having a low sperm count. I don't know if I can say that. It's sure. Homer, okay. Homer having a low sperm count. So who's our guest star? Joe Frazier, great <laughs> champion of the world. Why was he on the show? Because we wanted to meet Joe Frazier. So, sometimes we make it very appropriate. If we're doing a show about opera, of course, we'll ask Placido Domingo to be on the show. But we're, the episode where Homer became an astronaut, our guest, our guest star was James Taylor. And we we love James Taylor. We thought maybe we get some free concert tickets. It didn't work out. <laughs> So tell us about the voice stars of The Simpsons. Has their talent led to the storytelling, the writing for The Simpsons for the last 30 years? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the characters started off so ill-defined, you know, and especially someone like Lisa Simpson. In the early shows, you watch them, she's just a boy Bart. And in fact, the first line I ever wrote for Lisa Simpson uh, was... Let's go throw rocks at the swans. Some Lisa would never say now. And it's it's just their acting ability that, that makes these characters have so much depth and heart and pain. Uh, the other way they help the show is someone like Hank Azaria. We'll give him one line of a nondescript character, and he'll be so funny with it. We'll go, oh, we got to bring that character back. He was just supposed to be there for a line, but he's so funny. Uh, we'll make him a regular on the show. And that's why Hank Azaria has all these characters on the show that have no names. Guys like Comic Book Guy and Sea Captain and <laughs> Old Jewish Man and Bumblebee Man. And that's, we, we never thought any of those characters would be bad, but it's a, that's a, a tribute to Hank. Now, when recording the audiobook, uh, you, you decided you were going to be the voice talent of that. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yes, I really had to fight for it, too. They said, can't we get someone with talent? <laughs> and, uh, and I wanted to do it not out of ego, but uh, the fact that uh, on top of doing The Simpsons, I've lectured on The Simpsons in 21 countries. I've, been, I've given 400 lectures, and I call it a lecture, but it's really, it's a lot of jokes, and I show a lot of clips. It's a really fun evening. So... The book is made from those speeches. It's it's a result of going everywhere in the world and meeting, I think, 50,000 fans and finding out what they want to know about the show. So I finished the book about six months ago, turned in the manuscript, and what's really nice is I've met hundreds of Simpsons fans since then, and anytime they ask me a question, I think, well, it's in the book. I covered that. It's in the book. I have answered all questions. So this... This book makes me completely redundant. <laughs> if you buy the book, you'd never have to talk to me again, which is why my wife bought a copy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the point of an autobiography? Is is you are telling us your story so that we we can experience it without actually having to travel with you to all these wonderful countries. Yes, it's like going I said it's like going on a an 8-hour date with me and uh it's especially like that because you have to pay. 
I, I, I got to tell you, I loved this book. I loved the eight-hour date. I, I was happy to pay to read these words. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other shows that you've been a part of. There's a Sledgehammer reboot pilot out there somewhere. Somebody has made a pilot for a reboot of Sledgehammer. How do you feel about that? You know, there's a funny thing. It's not only Sledgehammer. They just made a deal, I think, to reboot Alf. Oh, really? And so my whole career is coming back. I'm starting to feel like Benjamin Button, where I can kind of work my way backwards and uh, work on all my old shows. There's a funny thing, which, in theory, I hate all this rebooting. I, I just wish, you know, they would all would come up with new ideas and <laughs> there would always be fresh stuff instead of focusing on the past. Again, I hate it in theory. In practice, I love watching them. I'm as excited as anyone to see, oh, look, they got all these people back, and it's just like the old show. So I like it. Of course, it is a trend that Hollywood will do to death and until you really come to hate the show, come to hate the idea, not another reboot. Uh, but for now, it's fun. And for now, they are rebooting the kind of shows people would like to see again. And especially a show like Sledgehammer, which was way ahead of its time. There I was agree. nothing on it I'd like it on TV. They didn't even know how to make a show like that on TV. It was a very strange experience to be shooting a comedy on film without an audience. It was it was like nothing else on TV. So it would fit in beautifully now. And also uh, you know, it was about a, a crazy cop in love with this gun, and I think in this this NRA age, I think it's it's a perfect show for our times. So Roseanne was rebooted last year for a, a really successful run, which uh, has come to a, a very abrupt halt. You tweeted the comedy gold message of the of the day. You said Roseanne rebooted off TV. I love that. That's that's wonderful, wonderful work. What other shows should we reboot? What would you like to see rebooted other than your work in ALF and oh, maybe The Critic? Could The Critic come back? The Critic is one I, I know I, I've heard this that I could walk into Netflix and sell it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I could because you know it's another show that was ahead of its time. How fast paced it moved, how snarky and sort of mean spirited it was. Uh, I know we could resell it. I'm the one. There's a couple of problems. Just that uh, the producers, creators, Al Jean and Jim Brooks are busy actually doing The Simpsons. You know, they're they're still on their first run of that. That's uh, and I I'm just a little leery of doing it again. Partly because guys like the critic, anyone who saw that show, they don't exist anymore. There are no more TV critics. Uh, the other sad thing, this is not a great comedy moment, is the fact that everybody's favorite characters on that show are dead. We, it's like a plague swept through the critic, and uh, the, the very funny boss is dead, the makeup woman is dead, the very lovely woman, the young woman who played the son on the show is dead. So that's it. You know, you're starting at sort of uh, a disadvantage if we brought that back. So it would be all John Lovitz all the time. Yes, it would be. John Lovitz couldn't love it more. Yes, he's <laughs> and I tell the story in the book that he was so reluctant to do The Critic. The Critic 
was Al Jean and I wrote the pilot and brought it to him as a live action show. Mm-hmm. And we said, it's got to be you or no one else. And he said, I am not going to do TV. I'm a movie star. And so we thought, we thought the project was doomed. And it was literally, as we're all walking out of the room, I said, what if it was animated? And there's never been an animated show in history, I think, where the the idea of making it a cartoon was the very last creative decision made. So now, of course, Lovitz, who got dragged into doing it the first time, can't wait to do it now. He would love to do it live action. So maybe it'll happen. So the cultural influence of The Simpsons over the last 30 years is undeniable. The word dope was added to the dictionary in 2009, and the word embiggen was added just this year. It's it's pretty amazing how this little show has culturally influenced us. So I got to ask, what's the bigger cultural influence, The Simpsons or Weird Al Yankovic? <laughs> well, I'm happy to say Weird Al's become a, a very good uh, member of The Simpsons family. He's been on the show many times, and... Uh, he loves, and I, I just felt like, oh, here it is. This is, this is like Stalin and Roosevelt and, and Truman at Yalta or wherever they met. He said, here we are, these two great institutions meeting when Weird Al showed up at the show the first time. So are you proud of the cultural influence that you've been able to be a part of with this show? Here's the thing. Even though I'm a guy who had the temerity to write a book about the show, you know, because the show... It's just the work of 300 very talented people working really, really hard. And even though I've given half my life to The Simpsons, if I'd never been born, the show would be every bit as good as it is. You know, I I gave it my all, but it's a big operation, and uh, I'm a very small part of it. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy it's a good show. I'm happy I've had a job for 30 years. But... Uh, I would say pride and ego never come into it. I got to tell you one quick story. There was a a guy on our show, a writer on the show, who nobody really loved. And he he went on vacation and he came back and was telling the story. He said, somebody asked me to be funny on vacation because I write for The Simpsons. And I told them, I make America laugh 360 days a year. Can I have five days to myself? (laughs) And what I love about the line is this man who never said he doesn't make he didn't make anyone laugh ever, and uh, but that line was so fatuous we used it on the show. We had Krusty the Clown say it, so <laughs> as far as I know, that's the only joke he ever had on the show. So the book Springfield Confidential Jokes, Secrets, and Outright Lies from a Lifetime Writing for the Simpsons is released on Tuesday, June 12th. Next next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. And Mike is embarking on a coast and coast book tour. You, you, You can catch him in either California or New York City, or we can just wave at him as he flies over here in the Midwest. If anyone asks me to come to Chicago, I'll be there. My tour is actually wherever I happen to be. So it's New York, L.A., and Gunnison, Colorado is one of my stops. Of course. I, uh, we, of course, would uh, recognize that. <laughs> Hello, Colorado. <laughs> 
And we could find some of your great humor on Twitter. You got a Twitter account, Mike Reese Writer, and everybody in our audience can pick up a copy of the book on our Amazon store, Amazon.TooMuchScrolling.com. Thank you, Mike, for for this book for 30 years of writing and for coming on and speaking to us today. It was a pure pleasure. Nice talking to you guys. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's some good news out there, Chip. You said good news, Steve. Yes, sir. There's still time. There's still time. The 500-episode-long Doctor Who marathon is still on Twitch.tv right now. Steve, a lot of people must be enjoying that. <laughs> there's there's about 9,000 people at a time watching it. Every time I tune in, there's about 9,000 other people watching it with me. Well, God bless them, Steve. It's great, man. There's so much Doctor Who out there. I look forward to, to watching along with everybody on Twitch.tv. Star Wars Celebration is coming to Chicago. Get your tickets. Tickets are available today at noon. Really? So wait till like 3 o'clock this afternoon so that I can get my tickets because I will be buying my tickets for Star Wars Celebration in Chicago at 12 noon today, Chip. Oh, excellent. So everybody's going to have a lot of fun here in Chicago. Chicago's a good city. Yeah. And uh, obviously we're going to have a lot of fans uh, visiting. And you've got a couple of weeks left to support our friend Tom Merritt's latest book, the sequel to Pilot X. It's called Trigger. It's spelled T-R-I-G-O-R, Trigger. And it is funding right now on Inkshares. Pick up a copy, support some great storytelling. Uh, We thank Tom Merritt for our opening. And finally... Indie PopCon. Yes. Down in Indianapolis. Friday morning. Let's Friday go. Friday morning. 9.30 in the morning. We'll be performing. Yep. Southgate Media Group's um, coverage, as far as their third podcast, goes on at 9 o'clock. That's Rob Southgate and Chris Mao who will be uh, performing there. That's the beginning of the marathon. It's an all-day, all-day Friday marathon. So come down to Indie PopCon in Indianapolis and join Southgate Media Group and us, and and we're going to have some fun, man. Well, if you meet us, maybe we'll have a t- uh, something for you. You yeah. never know. You never know. And uh, we're going to have, on Friday, we're going to interview Kyle Hickman. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking some movies. Yes. And then um, we are going to be talking to Nick Dorsey on Saturday morning. That's at 10 o'clock. That's right. And we're we're going to be talking about the game Werewolf, mm-hmm. which uh, he's going to teach us how to play Friday night. Oh, man. So if you're in Indianapolis, you would like to, to join us, you're welcome to inbox us. We would be happy to, to host you. Yeah, come and on down. We're going to have some fun. So, um, Steve, I think that's going to be uh, about all the excitement I can handle. That's that's a pretty packed week. We have a pretty packed summer in front of us. We have had so many great things happen to us. We want to thank again our guest, Mike Reese, who who has a wonderful book that you should go pre-order now. It's coming out next Tuesday. And he, he is one of the guys that has brought us The Simpsons. And I just, I'm so proud that we got a chance to talk to him today. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think, Chip? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I don't know about next week. We got to get through Indie PopCon first. So we got to come back like on Friday and Saturday and do two days. And then maybe on Tuesday, we'll have something for you. If you need more information, give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is TooMuchScrolling.com. Our email is TooMuchScrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We got to remember to take more pictures. That's what we got to do for Instagram. We're also on iTunes 
iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio, and every day that we can go to our news site, news.toomuchscrolling.com. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We'll see you in the future. Maybe Friday. Friday.